Welcome to Social Proof, a podcast about influence brought to you by Soapbox. We're in the business of social media and influencer marketing. So we talk to people every day who've built brands, fans, and followers. We're intrigued by the idea of influence. What makes certain people so compelling? Join us each and every week as we raise our glasses with captivating individuals and dig into what it means to develop a personal brand and have true influence. Cheers to real people and riveting stories. All right. Welcome to Social Proof, a podcast about influence. I'm Beth. And I'm Nate. And we are thrilled to have Tiffany Dufu with us today. Hi, Tiffany. Hi there. I'm happy to be here. It's so great to have you. Why don't you? I I am so tempted to just bubble over about all the cool things you are doing, but let's let you do that. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are and what you do with yourself? Well, the most important thing to know about me is that my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. Every (laughs) job that I've had, every dollar I've ever donated, every board I've ever sat on, every book I've written, article I've written, post I've ever uploaded on (laughs) any social media platform has in some way been about how do we harness women and girls' talent and power and ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. So that's why I'm on the planet. Right now, I feel really lucky that I get to manifest that purpose as founder and CEO of the crew. Um, We match circles of women that collaborate to meet their life goals together. And we're very excited to have Bethany as as one of our members. Uh, That's what I spend most of my time doing right now. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to dig into it. As you noted, I'm a a brand new member of the crew. And um, I think Nate can attest I talk about it a lot. (laughs) It's been very impactful in the short amount of time uh, that I've been active with the organization. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the crew? Yes. So, you know, I founded the crew because I'm someone who is the cumulative investment of a lot of people, mentors, sponsors, my parents, my ancestors. But over the past decade or so, I would say I've really benefited from having a peer group of women who know my ambitions They help me to create a plan. They hold me accountable largely to what I say I'm going to do. And I don't believe there's any way that I could be where I am without them. It's as if we're all climbing a mountain together, but we're kind of in the same place and we're tethered to each other. And I feel that every woman needs something similar to this. I actually believe that every person uh, needs a crew. I just know more about women and I'm on the planet for them. So, you know, so that's where, so that's where we've started. Um, I used to evangelize the crew, this idea of the crew in my one-on-one meetings with women that I would have, I pretty much say yes to every woman. And I realized that there was a pain point uh, one day when I was talking to a woman who said, yeah, this seems really amazing but I don't think you understand the amount of work, you know, that goes into finding a crew. And then Mm -hmm. she walked me through the workflow of needing to get invited to a cocktail party or Mm -hmm. a conference or event, or in this world, like where do you meet someone and having to awkwardly introduce herself to the strangers, collect the business cards and then like 
plan this time to meet all of these people and, and organize gatherings. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I have a full-time job yeah. uh, and three kids and a mom with a diagnosis and a dog. Mm. I don't have time to find my crew. So we effectively take the work uh, out of networking and then really help women to achieve their goals. So the way that it works is that you apply mm-hmm. to become a member. We match you. The organizing principle of the crew, as Bethany knows, are what we call intentions or goals. They can be personal or professional. You upload those into a portal with actions against them and you're on your way. Uh, you meet with your crew uh, usually once a month mm-hmm. uh, at what we call gatherings and crew coach one another. It's largely an accountability tool. Uh, Everyone in the crew has met goals. They actually know how to meet goals. It's just, there's this thing called life that gets in the way. Yeah. I love it. I was just telling Nate a little bit more um, specifically about the crew and my experience thus far. And um, so many things that I think are compelling to me about you and your mission. Um, I share a lot of those passions, having been uh, really given shots early in my career uh, by mentors and coaches and individuals who took risks on me and Nate, Nate was interviewing someone for our organization earlier, and we have this sort of shared passion for everyone we encounter at Soapbox, um, whether it's simply someone we're interviewing. How can we leave them better than we found them? You know, they may or may not be a fit to join our organization, but can we, can we elevate them? Can we send them out with tools? Can we equip them? And, and particularly, I share that, that passion and focus for women and girls, as Nate can attest. He's surrounded by them here at Soapbox. Yeah, and I, actually, <laughs> I, I don't mind at all. I love it. Um, but I love, Tiffany, what you said about kind of taking the pain point away from networking. I mean, everyone knows they need to network. Um, but for me, like I, I struggle networking, reaching out to people. And it seems like you've kind of removed that barrier and gotten to the heart of why you need a network of people. So I think that is so interesting and intriguing. Love that. I was sharing with Nate, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit more, Tiffany. One of the things, several things that I find very intriguing about the structure that you have with the crew, um, you know, it's, to me, I've seen that it's very high performing women um, and yet they have, you know, further goals for themselves or for their lives or for their companies. Um, and then I love the confidentiality factor. You know, these are individuals who come together and share some very raw uh, and real intentions for themselves. Um, I've noticed within my group, you know, we may not say that someone wants to lose weight. She may say specifically, here is what I weigh today and here's, you know, where I want to be to be healthier and fitter and 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 there for my kids. Or, you know, for me, I've shared, you know, explicit um you know, our sales goals, we, we look at the financials and the goals that I have for our company and knowing that that group will take those things, internalize them, um, keep them sacred. And then also, well, you are so right, motivate and stay on top of and push you to achieve those goals is riveting. So talk about how you've achieved those sorts of milestones around confidentiality and around the structure of the group and the crew coaching methodology. I love Sure. Um, You know, I've spent a lot of time focused on and researching and and understanding the mindsets, the skills, the behaviors Mm. that women need in order for them to be successful. Uh, I was on the launch team for Lean In. I used to run a national women's leadership organization called the White House Project. We trained women to run for public office across the country. And so a lot of my insight into 
how I thought the crew should operate was very much rooted in how we're normally socialized or Mm. conditioned uh, to engage with one another, what some of those barriers are. And I really... Uh, you know, sometimes we create things that we want, that we desire, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that we need in some ways. And particularly as an introvert, as someone who derives energy from, you know, me reading a book or, or being by myself, I find it terrifying to walk into a room full of people that I don't know and have to introduce them. So, you know, for me, it was all about how can we curate and create a culture in which there is safety. So part of that uh, has to do with one, the crew really being positioned as a separate social category. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important because we have other categories, whether they're family, friends, co-workers, mm. neighbors, where there are often expectations and assumptions that come with them. Mm-hmm. So yes, your crew is there to support you, but in some ways they're able to do it and you feel safe because they don't have any like stake in the game. No. Yeah. Uh, they're not invested mm-hmm. in your decision-making mm-hmm. the way that people who love you might uh, be invested right. or the way that a coworker might be invested if she's vying for the same promotion, mm-hmm. you know, or the way that a partner might be invested if he or she doesn't want to move to a new city, right. you know, if right. you want to get that promotion. Yeah. So it's a group of people that care about you, but they're, that are not as mm-hmm. invested. And I think that that's part of what creates the, the sacredness. But I think the other piece has to do with diversity, which I feel is really important uh, in the crew and just in life. I think that we need more spaces, more experiences where we transcend the tribalism and we can come together to collaborate and see one another across boundaries. Mm-hmm. People People like to talk about the importance of diversity, but I think what you have a responsibility to do in a community that's truly diverse is create the scaffolding to support people who might be coming together and having different expectations of one another and Mm -hmm. to kind of put forth, you know, things that will help them to come to some consensus. And Mm -hmm. Bethany, you know that we do that through nomenclature. You know that we do that through crew norms, you know, just like in the beginning when we started, you know, we have this crew norm around response time uh, to each other because in the beginning, it turns out that people that come from different backgrounds and different communities and specifically from different industries Mm -hmm. have a different notion of time. Yeah what an appropriate response time is. Mm -hmm. And we would have conflicts with members who would say to their crew guide, my crew member has ghosted me. Mm. And then we would talk to the other crew member. She'd be like, what is she talking about? Like (laughs) I'm in the publishing industry (laughs) and it's been two days. I was like reading a manuscript, but that was like a publicist, you know, who, if you don't respond in four hours, you know, you're you're like ignoring her. So I think it's things, it's, it's the, I I like to call it radical intentionality. Mm -hmm. around really supporting people and learning how to interact with Mm -hmm. one another in ways that are not based on assumptions Mm -hmm. or judgment. Uh, In fact, we we refer to the crew as a judgment-free zone, but just everybody trying to do our best to move our lives forward together. Tiffany, I love that you brought up diversity in particular because it's one of the things that attracted me to the crew. And I believe that you have an intention of around 65% participants of color within the crew. Is that accurate? Do I recall that right? Well, it's interesting that you say that. We don't, we didn't have any specific targets around diversity. I just Um, made that up. 
when I put the call out uh, to women, we attracted a diverse mm. audience. Uh, and I will say that we, I, I, I can't write one line of code. I have two <laughs> English degrees, um, but I am proudly the architect of our algorithm uh, wow. that helps to enable the matching. Mm. And it does prioritize diversity. And certainly when it comes to racial, ethnic diversity, it, it does call for a bit of a Noah's Ark. I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah. when you do that when you say, I want eight women and I want women who are of African descent, women who are of Asian descent, women who are Latina, women who identify as white or Caucasian. When you do that, you're going to end up, it turns out mathematically with the majority women of color community. And so that's how, uh, that's how that happened. That's intriguing. Well, I mean, to your point, it has brought such depth to our conversations because our crew um, has not only the the ethnic diversity and racial diversity that you've referenced, but the career and professional diversity. I mean, I'm I'm around women who are certainly not in the marketing field, and I love that they're in you know the financial sector or they're in the tech sector or the healthcare sector. So it's stretched and grown me a lot already as a result. But Nate, I suspect you want to dig into culture a little bit more. I think Tiffany is just a guru in this space, and we can hear a lot from her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I actually was thinking about, and we had talked a little bit about this pre pre podcast, but, um, you know, I don't know, Tiffany, that you, if you would necessarily, I'd be interested to know if you'd consider yourself an influencer. Um, we, you know, obviously think of you as an influencer with your books and I've, I've, I've seen several of your talks. Um, but I'm curious to know, um, one, do you consider yourself an influencer? And then two, who, who, who's been like the guiding influence in your life that's kind of led you to where you are today? Maybe how has that impacted, you know, the crew and, and some of the, the, you know, the lessons that you've built into that and processes and things like that? Yeah. In preparation for this, you know, I asked, Am I being interviewed because I am an influencer? Yeah. So yeah. I have <laughs> influence. Yeah. <laughs> Clarification about that. So the honest answer to that question would be, do I consider myself? Well, no, I had to ask and kind of confirm whether or not I was an influencer. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you asked me, you know, Tiffany, what do you do? Like, what are you fundamentally? Mm-hmm. I would say I'm an evangelist. I would mm-hmm. say I'm a minister. I probably would have been a preacher if I hadn't have grown up in a sexist <laughs> church. Um, so I effectively made <laughs> feminism, you know, my ministry. Um, but do I believe in persuading people to take action on the things that I care about and that I think are important, you know, through written communication, verbal communication, yes. And do I use social platforms in order to help them to do that because I want to create change in the world? Absolutely. And am I intentional about how I leverage those platforms in order to get my message out? Yes. And am I consistent about what you can count on Tiffany Dufu for, which is largely for the past couple of decades, insights on women and leadership and their advancement, usually around work-life balance or trying to create lives we're passionate about and issues around diversity and inclusion, but usually mostly around gender, that, that you can rely on me for that. You can count on me for that. But I would say that my entry point was not, I'm going to be an influencer. Right. My entry point was, I want to create change in the world. What is available to me mm-hmm. in order to do that? Yeah. And you, I mean, you definitely have a soapbox, right? You have, you have that platform and 
Um, I am curious to know what, what platforms you use um, to kind of wield that influence that you do have. Um, but kind of following up on that, um, who, who in your life has been a major influence for you? Um, who do you draw inspiration from either in the past or currently? Yeah, there are probably two people that, that immediately come to mind. Um, one is my mom, uh, who found out that she was pregnant with me when she was 19 years old. My parents are from Watts, LA. So in the mid-1970s, it was a rough place. It was a rough time. My mom didn't know anything other than the environment that she was growing up in, but she knew there had to be an alternative because she had an uncle who was an army recruiter mm. and she would see him come and go. And so she went to him and she, you know, suggested that this guy uh, that is going to be the father of her child should marry her and he should join the army. And lo and behold, I was born nine months later. <laughs> army base. Wow. Como, Washington. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was, I was, the, the persuasion is in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> I um, love that. <laughs> and so I grew up, um, you know, in a nice, lovely house with a white picket fence around it. My father, who had to kick an addiction to even pass the physical exam to get into the military, eventually went to college on the GI Bill. He earned a PhD in theology. Oh, wow. uh, I actually wasn't really conscious of the fact that my parents had broken a very vicious cycle of poverty mm. and addiction and violence in just one generation based on that move and, and based on this fundamental truth that they taught me, which is that if you want some thing you've never had before. You're going to have to do something you've never done before mm-hmm. in order to get it. So part of the reason why she comes to mind first is because my mom had chosen to be what I call a non-paid working mom. Uh, Cause I think all moms are working moms. Some of us are compensated for our labor and some of us are not. Uh, but because of that decision, when I was 16 and my parents got divorced, all of the social, economic, political capital that I thought was our families. Of course, at 16, I would not have described it that way. I wouldn't have used those words. I learned was only our dad's, you Mm. see, because he was the one who worked outside the home and who had the college degrees and who had the awards. And unfortunately, my mom spun back into those vicious cycles of Mm -hmm. poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband. So I spent, you know, my early 20s, uh, late teens trying to save my mom before learning that you can't do that uh, with someone. And every day I get up and I'm very committed to getting to as many women as possible Mm -hmm. and whispering in their ear something that my mom used to tell me when I was growing up every day, which is that Tiffany, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so loved. Mm. So she, she is absolutely my primary inspiration in that my life's work of advancing women and girls is certainly tied Inspired, to, yeah. you know, to tired to that. And then I have to mention a woman named Marie C. Wilson, who built the Ms. Foundation. She started Take Our Daughters to Work Day. She founded the organization that I eventually ran called the White House Project. I refer to Marie as my political mother. <laughs> I love uh, that. <laughs> she, she really, um, I worked for her for six years before I took over the organization. And she was as tough as nails, the toughest boss that I've ever worked for, but someone who really believed believed in me and saw my potential and gave me opportunities, let me fail, then raked me over the coals for it. And we just kept doing that over and over and over again, you know, until she thought I was ready. Um, but I, I would not 
be where I am. Certainly the platform was, was informed by Marie's endorsement of me, her mm. sponsorship of me, uh, her communicating to people. This is Tiffany Dufu. She's a superstar. So look out for her uh, and making those introductions early in my career is part of how I am where I am. And I think her mm. as well. I love that. Yeah, I do too. I love that advocacy and that championing. Um, we, we think a lot about that as we attempt to, I think, advance our team members. And then we at Soapbox also have this community of 7,000 individuals who, you know, are attempting to make their living often from their living rooms as influencers or creators. And, you know, I think we have an obligation to um, inspire and support and bring opportunities to those individuals as well. One of the things about the way that we're structured is that I believe you've got all of these amazing rock stars like yourself who, you know, perhaps are in the Mississippi Delta or in Watts, LA, and they don't they don't have access to the large brands and companies that we do every day. And so we can almost be matchmakers, right? We can take these individuals who are stellar photographers or copywriters, and we can say, do what you do well, you know, hone your skills and we will pair you with brands and allow you to wield your influence. And, um, you know, I guess my question for you and that is influence and influencer can often have a negative connotation. You know, there are so many individuals, you know, they abound on the Internet who are, um, you know, just taking selfies and pursing their lips. And it's about style and it's very shallow. And, and we believe, again, in this network of primarily women um, who have skill sets um, and and need someone to endorse or advocate or spend their capital on them to give them opportunities. And so I, I guess I, I would like to understand, you know, when you think about the word influence, how do you wield your influence? Um, are there non-negotiables? Are there things around Tiffany's personal brand that you, you won't budge on in terms of how you project yourself into the world that our listeners can learn from? Yes, I think of it in two ways, you know, as you're, as you're talking. Um, one is in a very substantive way that I'm not sure, you know, someone listening is really thinking about, which is really understanding and tapping into what, for lack of a better term, you might call your superpower. Mm. Um, one of the things that I've learned throughout my career is that what you do is far less important than the difference you make. Each one of us has something very unique that we bring to the world that if we don't unleash it, if we don't allow the world to experience it, the world will never experience it. Uh, it won't be unleashed and you'll be depriving the world. And understanding what that is for you, the difference that you make, separate and apart from your job, your mm -hmm. livelihood, the skills that you have, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I, I spent a chunk of my career as a nonprofit fundraiser, and I was leaving an organization, and my claim to fame, or so I thought of that organization, was that I had helped raise a million dollars, mm. which was matched by the Gates Foundation and created this endowment mm. for the school that was just burgeoning school that allowed for the school in perpetuity to push off this financial aid 
you know, bucket. It's what allowed yeah. the school to be diverse. And I was so proud of this legacy sure. that I was leaving and I was moving to Boston and the, the school had this culture, speaking of culture and moving back love around it, it. <laughs> this, this tradition of recognizing people through a really fun exercise where they would basically take a song and cover it. So um, everybody would come up with the song and then they would alter the lyrics to reflect the impact that you made there. That's so as great. I was We're packing totally my box, you know, and I was leaving, yeah. um, I knew what my song was going to be. It was going to be, I think it's the OJ's money, 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 money. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, that is going That's to be my song, song because I raised a million dollars. Okay. Um, and that was going to be it. So I was really taken back when it was time for my song, my colleagues like get up and they go to the front of the room and they've got their pieces of paper with the lyrics yeah. and they start singing a completely different song. <laughs> I forget uh, who sings a song, but it's the, um, we can see clearly now yeah. the rain yeah. is gone. Obviously I can't sing very yeah. well. Yeah. Um, you know, we can see all the obstacles in our way. Tiffany's guiding us <laughs> in all our goals. Tiffany's bright, bright, right in every way. She is the compass we've been waiting for. These are the lyrics yeah. to the song. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah. I raised a million dollars and like none of the lyrics of the song yeah. had anything to do, you know, with what I did. Um, but later, I, you know, I really discovered my own superpower, mm -hmm. which is helping other people to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement. Often your superpower is what you do in your day job that usually annoys you because you always end up doing it, yeah. uh, but it's not your That's job. Like insight. the thing where you're like, I don't know why I always end up doing this. They do not pay me for this, right? And for me, you know, it would often be corralling people, spending time with an individual who needed support. So for mm. me, part of my superpower was, Tiffany, you're someone who can help people to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement. How can you leverage that in multiple ways in order for you to be able to create change in the world. So to me, influence is knowing that and understanding that and being able to tap into that because I believe it's all a house of cards mm -hmm. and your influence has to be rooted in something that cannot be taken away. If Facebook folds, Twitter folds, Amen. LinkedIn folds, when it all goes away, what is your influence rooted in? Mm. And, and that's why I think it's really important that, that you know, because everything else is just a facade. Something else will come up. I think it has nothing to do with followership. It has Amen. to do with the, the impact that you're trying to create in the world. Retweet. <laughs> that's, yeah, that is that's really amazing. powerful advice. I it think. is. <clears throat> Is. Nate and I spend, I think, a lot of time talking about this, even in our, our company. Um, you know, we're constantly thinking about, you know, how do we wield influence? How do we inspire others and do, you know, uh, create an environment of storytelling and positive influence? And it it really doesn't boil down to the platforms. In fact, a lot of times I say that we're a crowdsourcing organization. We're, you know, we're a mechanism for brands to connect with consumers and, you know, the platforms may indeed fade. So I, I'm quite thrilled that you brought that up. I thought that was fantastic. I have practical influencer strategies as well. I mean, that's my overarching substantive strategies. Um, one of them is consistency. If you Google my name, you will see that I pretty much looked the same 
yeah. uh, for a very long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. I don't change my hair. I've had the same hairstyle for 20 years. I usually wear these every once in a while, somebody will gift me something and I'll have to end up wearing it for that picture. But <laughs> for the most part, you've seen these earrings, uh, certainly since for the past 15 years, since my yeah. husband gave them to me when, when my son was born, I, I, I think that there's, um, you know, it's helpful for people to kind of know what to expect. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty consistent with my content. Uh, and and I don't really kind of change course on that. Mm -hmm. And I have a pretty staunch rule that I only speak when I have something to say. Mm. Uh, so it drives, you know, social media managers crazy because they're like, you haven't posted and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't have anything to say. I'm not posting anything uh, until I have something that I feel like will help make a difference, you know, in the world. So Mm -hmm. I I feel really strongly about some of, some of those things. Yeah. That's great. Tiffany, I have um, kind of a funny story to share with you. I joined the crew, as we were talking about, uh, fairly recently. Um, I think I applied um, in late summer and was uh, happily accepted and matched with my crew. And I was here in our office at Soapbox one day. We we have a little library where we have books about social media and marketing and, and just resources for our team. And I looked over and I saw your book on our shelf. And your face looking at me, um, literally the week that I had my first crew gathering. And I forgot that I had purchased this book, I want to say two years ago. When did, when was your book? Uh, when did it come out? 2017, I think. Okay. It, yeah. 2017. Yeah. I feel like I bought it maybe, I know I bought it in December of either 2017 or 2018. Um, but it was just such a funny full circle to just look over and see your influence with me even then. So um, actually, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the book, Drop the Ball, if you don't mind. Yes. um, The title of the book is Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. Uh, I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be a person who was terrified (laughs) of ever dropping a ball. I thought it was awful. It meant I was failing to take timely action. I was disappointing myself, my family, my community, the people I cared about. It sounds dramatic, but I used to feel like I would be disappointing the entire Black race if I ever dropped the ball, as in, if I mess this up, they're never going to hire a Black person again. And what happened was not that I developed some amazing strategy for how to drop the ball. What happened was that I reached a point in my life, like many of us do, where I could not keep those balls juggling in the air. For me, my moment was the birth of my first child. I've spoken to hundreds of women and listened to their stories. It could be you finally got the promotion and discovered it's a lot harder to be the boss than you thought it was going to be. It could be a diagnosis for many people in this environment. It could be a viral pandemic and an economic recession that is just put a lot of pressure on you. Lo and behold, though, when my world came crashing down and balls were rolling all over the floor, (laughs) I made a really life-changing discovery, uh, which is that Armageddon never hit. In other words, all of the things I had always told myself would happen if I ever dropped the ball didn't happen. No one fired me from my job. 
No one called me to tell me that they didn't love me anymore because I didn't respond to their text message or I missed the birthday party. Uh, the NYPD didn't come and read me my Miranda rights because I had these orange citations piled up because I, there was this in New York. It's so crazy. You have, I'm not originally from New York. I'm from Seattle, but you have to move your car back and forth across the street for this thing called alternate side parking so they can clean the streets. And if you don't move your car, you get this orange citation. And one of the dynamics of me being a new working mom was that every day I would be rushing home from the office to relieve our childcare provider and I wouldn't have time to move the car. And then I would get so engrossed in like feeding my baby and, and doing all of this stuff that I would inevitably forget. And then like all of these orange citations piled up. And I was always afraid that somebody was eventually going to come and arrest me, but they don't. By the way, I don't know how many of those things you get before they come and arrest you, but just so you know, it's a lot. Nobody ever comes. So I, I just started questioning like, okay, why was I so stressed before? Why did I feel so much pressure to keep all of these balls in the mm. air so flawlessly my entire life? And after doing some soul searching, I decided to reappropriate the term. So mm. for me now, dropping the ball means... I've let go of these unrealistic expectations that I think all of us should let go of, men and women, uh, that really we're not the source of, that I've gotten clear about what matters most to me and what my highest and best use is in achieving what matters most, and that I've figured out how to meaningfully engage other people in the process. The book itself centers around me getting help from my husband. Uh, it's a bit of a romantic comedy about how I got him off of the couch. Uh, but that's that's it in a nutshell. Okay, so I was I, I I listened to several of your speeches. They're incredible, by the way. Um, and in one of them, you you mentioned um, you know addressing this room full of of women, and you talked about how you essentially lowered expectations for yourself and increased expectations for your husband. Um, and it always drew a laugh. Uh, but I've been thinking I've been thinking about that though. And what the role, what the role of a man is, um, today, um, and, and what our role is to empower women. I, I think for myself, I have, I've been in many roles where I have a female, you know, a female boss or a female leader. Um, I'm, I'm part of, you know, a female organization that empowers women, but, but I think there still is this feeling like, okay, what, what is my role? What is my responsibility? What, where, what are my blind spots, you know, as a man, when it comes to, empowering the women around me. And so I'm curious what, if you ever get, you know, asked that question and what your response is to, you know, to a man trying, um, trying to understand, trying to do his part, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what, what is, do you have any insight for that? Maybe for our male listeners on like what, what we can do. That's a great question. Sure. Sure. Well, one of my Tiffany's epiphanies, uh, that's what I call my aha moments, uh, in touring with the book, uh, was experiencing the number of men who would come up to me and they would want their book signed. And maybe they asked a question about their wife. And so I would say, what's your wife's name? And they would be like, oh, no, 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 no. I need this book. Like mm -hmm. you just need to put Dan, drop yeah. the ball. <laughs> like love Tiffany. Uh, and, and what I realized is that actually all of us are born into this world playing certain roles. If you were assigned girl, then your first role was daughter. If you were assigned boy, your first role was 
you know, son, Mm -hmm. if you have siblings, you become brother, sister, you become students, Mm -hmm. you know, workers, bosses, manager, wives, husbands, and all of us feel pressure to subscribe to a certain job description for what it means to play out any of these roles. And what's so surprising is that we have different cultures, different values, but somehow we all ended up with very similar job descriptions for what it means to be a good anything. And I I actually, over the course of learning uh, and interacting with people on the book tour, realized that men have their own job descriptions and their own boxes. So one of the first things I would advise men to do is to really focus on their own unrealistic expectations that society has imposed on them. For example, one of the things that became very clear to me is that just like in the job description for good mom, there's a line that says you must be physically present when your child takes their first steps. You know, I can't tell you the number of women who are like totally stressed because they have to travel for work and they're going to miss this very important event. By the way, no one can ever tell me that they remember who was there when they took their first steps. But, uh, But either way, you know, in the job description for a good husband, a good father, there's this insidious line that says you must aspire to be a breadwinner at Mm. all costs. Mm. Even the cost of meaningfully engaging with your family, society expects you to pay that price. So in some ways, I wish that, you know, um, somebody else would write a book about how men can drop that ball yeah. uh, and really think about uh, what, what it, masculinity means to them, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a citizen, mm-hmm. and to feel the freedom for you to redefine that in a way that works for you and that works for your family. So I would start there. Uh, and then I would say, of course, if you have a girl in your life, tell her that she's smart and that she's beautiful and that she's loved, um, make sure that she is playing organized sports. Mm. Uh, if she has any experience in which she can be in an all girls environment, um, and if she can get, get her into scouting or, you know, some kind of civic activity, it's great. Women who are in the highest levels of leadership in this country have those three things in common. The vast majority of them played organized sports. Uh, had an experience usually with education and being in in an all girls environment in some way, shape or form and um, were Girl Scouts. Interesting. That's intriguing. I love that. You know, Tiffany, it's interesting that you called those things out. I I loved the question, Nate, and I loved your your suggestions there. So you um, were born on a base in Tacoma. I grew up in Wenatchee, Washington, as it happens. I know Um, where that is. Yes, yes. And it's, um, yes, people in the Seattle area love the Wenatchee area, right? So, um, and I've got a daughter now, ironically, who's looking at heading out to the University of Washington uh, for college. It's in her top Um, but it's very interesting that you brought that up. Our My childhood was um, interesting. We moved around the world. Most of my childhood was um, in South America and in Jamaica, where um, I was typically uh, the only Caucasian um, on the playground or in school. And in both uh, instances, in living in South America and living in Jamaica, uh, I attended all-girl schools. And I, I think it's so intriguing that you cite that. Um, it is a very unique environment, and uh, I think it does there, – there's this perception that it will actually, um, I think, cause young women to um, not be as diverse in their thinking and not be as, you know, maybe 
um, confident when they go out into the world. But I love that you cited that because I do think that a, a strongly female environment often has the precise opposite effect. So uh, is that just based on you know research, your own experience? Where have you come across those three factors primarily? Yeah, yes, it's based on research. And it's, it's really for counterintuitive reasons, which is when you are in an environment in which you are not other, it doesn't occur to you mm. that you cannot fulfill all of the roles and responsibilities associated mm. with that environment. So it never occurs to you that you can't be president of the student council, that you can't sure. be, you know, the head of the, the sports team. Uh, you just... Mm. It doesn't come into play. By the way, it also uh, is part of the reason why historically Black colleges and universities push out. Uh, if you look at Black doctors, you know people who identify as African American who are top mm -hmm. doctors in this yeah. nation, top attorneys. They, the vast majority of entrepreneurs in the nation, many of them came from historically Black colleges and mm -hmm. universities. It's a very similar experience. It never occurs to you yeah. uh, when everyone, yeah. you know, uh, is really is similar that you cannot be whatever you aspire to be. I love that. That's riveting. And I could talk about that for hours, but I'll resist. <laughs> Any final questions, Nate, before I go to my favorite to wrap up questions? Yeah, no, I think we're running low on time. So let's, let's jump to them. Okay, fantastic. So I have two questions for you, Tiffany, to kind of close us out and they're going to sound similar. So I'm going to predefine them both. Um, one is what are you consuming right now? Meaning um, a book, a podcast, a series, something you're listening to or watching or reading. And then the second is going to be something that you're so into, so obsessed with. And that's often kind of a materialistic physical thing. Maybe it's a favorite water bottle, a, a coffee shop, a, you know, something that you've been experiencing. So the first, what are you consuming right now? I'm coming to you too, Nate. So get ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Um, right now, the book that I'm reading is called Founding Sales. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, and so I read a lot of books that are related to helping me with my company and, and entrepreneurship. And it's a really great book around just B2B sales. Um, what I am, was it what I am obsessed with? What's yeah, the second what are you one? so into right now? What am I so into right now? So I ha it's funny because I thought, what, sh what do I want to say? But what if anyone who knows me would... <laughs> Say. Say, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so it's like, I have to be honest. Yeah. And the honest answer is that anyone who knows me would say, Tiffany is obsessed with masterclass. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you watch masterclasses or, or are familiar with the platform. But yes, Nate's pestering me I'm to do masterclass for our team. Yeah. So yes. did he put I'm you up really to this? Obsessed. <laughs> no, no, he didn't at all. Um, but I'm obsessed with watching them. Uh, I, I almost feel like I could create a whole content franchise around mm. my Tiffany's epiphanies <laughs> from each masterclass uh, that I watch. But right now I'm doing Margaret Atwood's. Oh, wow. Okay. I may have to have an offline conversation with yeah. you about this. Yes, I love awesome. that. Yeah. All right, Nate, what are you consuming and what are you so into? Okay. So mine is um, not very cerebral. <laughs> 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 um, I have, I'm a kind of a fantasy nerd. So I, I'm listening to ready player two. It just came out. Love, love that series. So listening to that. Um, and then, uh, right now what I'm so into is, um, it's, it's fall football. So, <laughs> yes. uh, it's winter football. It's yes. kind of being pushed out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by, uh, Jalen hurts and his story, um, and his, his journey from like Alabama to Oklahoma to now the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's starting this week against the saints. Uh, love that story. And his like, like the lessons you can learn from team 
yeah. you know, being a team player and leadership there. So yeah, I'm really intrigued by his story and I, looking forward to watching him play this weekend. I love that. We <laughs> joke that, you know, Nate always wants to talk about sports and I never want to talk about sports. However, um, that's not entirely true because I actually, uh, my husband is a sports fanatic and I gain a lot of business analogies from what I would call sitting next to my husband as he watches sports. <laughs> my, my entrepreneurial, <laughs> like you, my entrepreneurial wheels are turning as I'm watching how the coach interacts with the players. And so I love actually that you cited that story behind that. Yeah, I love watching journeys, like the yes. like the growth and development of these individuals and seeing them succeed mm-hmm. or fail based on their decision. Yeah. It's really intriguing. I actually love it's 30 like a for drama. 30. So oh, yeah. on that note, 30 for 30 for sure. ESPN. Okay, so mine is... Um, Actually, I'm the the opposite. I almost never read um, fantasy or science fiction or anything of that nature. I tend to read entrepreneurship books and business books and, you know, historical fiction and those sorts of things. And I am currently reading um, a, yeah, I guess it's a fantasy book that I'm really into. It's, um, it's called The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. And the writing is breathtaking. I love that you called out your English uh, background, Tiffany. I am a lover of words and a, a, a lover of copy and a lover of strong communicators. And I I kind of equate this book to um, the Harry Potter series because it's just so riveting and eloquent and um, detailed, and it really it really takes you someplace else. So I'm enjoying that. And then. I'm going to just be a nerd here and say that the thing I am so into really is the crew. I am so obsessed with my crew. I am. And Nate can vouch for this. I just, um, after we've had our crew gatherings or I've checked in on my goals, uh, my intentions, I just, I get so much out of what you've crafted and, and the things that you've built around norms and crew coaching. And I have derived a lot of things that I think I've brought back to our business. It's just been an amazing experience. Well, I I can say that I have seen a, I guess, subtle shift. um, And I guess it does coincide with the time you started the crew, just this new, like renewed energy and enthusiasm for the business and for life. And like she doesn't sit still anymore. She's always, I don't know if steps are part of your crew goal or what, but she's like obsessed yes. with moving. I'm like, will you please just sit down and talk to me? Um, so she's pacing around the office. Pacing while I'm talking to him. It's hysterical. She's afraid she's going to get in trouble by her crew members, I think. So it's true. There is some serious accountability there. I know they're going to hold me accountable. So, yes. Oh, Wonderful. That makes me so happy. I love it. Well, Tiffany, it's been a total honor and pleasure to have you on. I I have learned so much from talking with you today, and I'm really grateful that you carved out time to be with us on Social Proof. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a treat. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you, Tiffany. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Have a good one.